Whoever the fuck you name on the planet Earth was at that funeral. The Lauren Hill, Mary, whoever on Earth. And I remember when I walked in there, like people started crying, hugging me and shit, like, because they knew my relationship with them. Well, of course, LL was there and, um... Nick Cannon. Chris used to manage Nick. 50 was there. Puffy was there. So many people. My brother was well-loved. So many people. All these people were gathered at the Frank E. Campbell Funeral Chapel in Manhattan. That's the same place where funerals for stars like Aaliyah, Luther Vandross, and the Notorious B.I.G. were held. If you were on the street outside that day, you might have thought this was a red carpet event. Celebrities stepping out of SUVs with blacked out windows. Paparazzi were there too, looking for a spot to take the perfect shot. Bodyguards did their best to hold them back. But inside there was no award show, no new album dropping, just a casket holding the body of a man named Chris Lighty, who just a few days earlier had shocked the world. The medical examiner has ruled the death of hip-hop mogul Chris Lighty is a suicide. Lighty was found with a gunshot wound to the head at his Bronx home on Thursday. Police say they found a black handgun at the scene, but no note. The 44-year-old worked with some of rap and R&B's biggest stars, including New York acts LL Cool J, Mariah Carey, Sean Diddy Combs, and 50 Cent. Chris also worked with Busta Rhymes, Missy Elliott, Foxy Brown, Q-Tip. He signed some of the biggest endorsement deals in the history of hip-hop. This guy was a king and a kingmaker, which is why no one saw this coming. Powerful black men like Chris Lighty do not shoot themselves. It makes no sense. Not when he fought and thought his way out of the hood. Not when he beat the odds and didn't end up in jail. And certainly not when he achieved so much, contributed so much to the culture, and made so much damn money along the way. But somehow, there he was, lying in a casket, with a bullet through his skull. Here's Chris's mom, Jessica, reading the eulogy she wrote for her son. My son was the eldest of six children, born in the Bronx, New York. From a very young age, he was encouraged to be independent, dependable, loyal, and true to his family and friends. He lived that way throughout his short, but eventful life. He leaves a legacy that his children can cherish and use as a benchmark in defining what makes a person successful in life. It was not the fame, the material possessions, nor even the love of a career he enjoyed every day of his adult life. It was much deeper than that. My son was a lover of God, family, friends, and life itself. And as we all do along life's journey, he made some wrong turns, but he never wavered in that love. Sleep well, my son. We all love you so much. Gimlet Media and the Loudspeakers Network. I'm Reggie Osei, and this is Mogul, the life and death of Chris Lighty. 
Yo, internet, you're listening to the Combat Jack Show podcast. I'm your host, Combat Jack. What's up, A-King? What's going on, big fella? Man, um, you know, this is a this is a special uh, episode. I yeah. mean, we've never done anything like this. Usually, you know, we spend the entire entity of the episode promoting other people's projects or right. promoting other people or promoting events in this net, but we never use this to promote something that we ourselves have been involved have been involved well, in, man. Yep. But you know, internet, you just heard the first five uh five or so minutes of a clip of the show Mogul. The Life and Death of Chris Lighting. I've been kind of harassing y'all and bothering y'all for the past year about, you know, how amazing this this project is going to be. And now it's out, man. And it's out on, on iTunes. It's out on SoundCloud. SoundCloud. It's on um, Spotify. It's yep. it's everywhere. Um, and, you know, we, we really wanted to just have a special episode where we talked about the process, putting this thing together, um, you know, the ups and downs of it and, and, and how it's here now. But this should be celebrated. We have... Um, somebody else in the studio. King, you want to introduce this guy, man? Who? Who? Uh, the, the Grand Chief Architecture of the Loudspeakers Network. Yes, Mr. Chris Morrow. What's up, Chris Morrow? Hey, how's everybody doing? How are you, man? You sound so energetic. And, and, and I've been, I've been dealing. I just shut my laptop because I've been dealing with some uh, nonsense Fuckery. with a uh, travel site. Really? Yeah, trying to get some loudspeakers talent to uh, Essence Festival. There's a, a travel site. I'm not going to name them now. We'll Uh-oh. see. Maybe by the end of the episode, we'll. Uh, yeah, man. F this, man. We'll suggest you don't send them your business. So they've they've got mm. me a little distracted, but now now I'm focused. Yeah, Chris, <laughs> man. Um, you were part of this process from like day one, man. Well, actually, you know what? Let's let's interview. Let's let's introduce somebody else that's in the studio. That's not necessarily a part of the LSN team. They're part of the Gimlet Media team, but I guess in this process, we've been we've been. Uh, Fighting behind enemy lines together. Um, let's introduce this guy, man. Who? This guy. <laughs> no, who's going to introduce him? King. Oh, oh, okay. oh. What's going on, King? He, he's, he's the Gimlet Beer God himself, <laughs> producer extraordinaire. Fat Pants. What's it? What's it? IG? Matty Fat Pants. Matt. I'm trying to get d- 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 Fat DMs. Pants 83 on, on IG, Matty Fat Pants on Twitter. Yes, yes, Don't yes. Don't where those names come from. We call him Matthew. Matt Nelson. What's Matt going Nelson. on, Nelson? Hey, guys. Welcome to the Combat Jack Show. Hey, it's it's truly is an honor to be here. Yeah. Thanks it, for having me. Yeah, it's been, it's weird for you because like you used to listen to the Combat Jack Show from Scotland, right? Well, not not from Scotland. Okay, I, I listened to it when from it came England. Here. Yeah, yeah, but from Japan. <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> that that from from the US of A. But yeah, I I read about your show in the Guardian, a, a British newspaper, right? And they just said like this thing is amazing. And I, I remember checking out some. I think it was your best 2014 with like D Nice, yes, Ice T, Russell Simmons, right? And that I was like, a banner year. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, welcome to the show, man. Um, Thank you so much. And it's um. Cool. So let's start this thing, man. I'm I'm so unprepared today, man. I don't have any notes. You know how how I am, King, with the notes. I think this one you don't. I think this was more. This is us. You know what I mean. Yeah. This is this is the the the. Well, you can't prepare for this. I can't, right? I could have. Some nah, we could just, or you could. Um, Chris, man, what are your recollections of how this thing, like the the germination of this project, man? Uh, I mean, it's going it's going back probably over three years at this point. Um. So it's a little fuzzy, but I mean, basically, as I remember, you told me that Alex Bloomberg, uh, who's the co-founder of Gimlet, a uh, very important person in podcasting for those of you out there who aren't familiar with Gimlet, has made startup. a startup uh, and also a rich history before that with, I guess, what, Planet Money Planet and all Money. that. So Planet Money, This American Life. This, this American, American Life. Life. Really super 
<clears throat> excuse me, well-respected guy in the space, a uh, guy that I had always looked up to and kind of admired what he was doing. You told me that he'd actually reached out to you and said that he was a fan yeah. of the Combat Jack show. Which is bugged out, Which man. was bugged <laughs> out. And uh, that, you know, he'd be interested in collaborating. Uh, well, no, 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 no. He just re- He just reached out and said he wanted to meet. Okay. But but I think we're jumping the gun because I think you and I had had conversations at least two or three years before about doing different types of podcasts and the ones that we traditionally have done on 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 a loudspeakers. Oh yeah, I mean for a long time, uh, you know, I have definitely, and I think us collectively have wanted to figure out a way to expand what we've been doing. Uh, and you know, we've talked about this a lot in interviews lately, but I you know I think it bears repeating. I think we did a really good job initially of carving out a new space in podcasting right? with kind of like a raw style and a different voice and bringing different voices to the table and giving them a platform. Um, but at a certain time, and this was obvious to me even a couple of years ago, we were going to have to expand what we do in terms of the production quality and time, in terms of the type of stories we were telling in terms of how we told them. And, you know, the kind of example I've been using and talking to people recently is I said, you know, when we started this, it was to provide an alternative to the NPR voice or whatever you want to call that. That kind of white guy, up, do you call it up talk? You know the voice. Yeah, yeah, up talk. <laughs> right. But <laughs> you could even want to jump high. Hi. But it, whatever it was, you know, we had to provide Brr. an alternative. Yeah, we've been doing that for a while too. <laughs> but <laughs> now that we did that, I've always also thought, Ah, there's a lot of really fucking incredible shit that they have done in that space and how they've told stories and the production value and what have you. So um, this is something, you know, I think we've always wanted to do, but it's something that's really difficult to do. It's fucking difficult. And we, we knew that before we started. We really know it now. But we knew it was something that truthfully we probably weren't going to be able to figure out on our own, at right. least not anytime soon. Right. So I think when the word came out that uh, Bloomberg was interested in talking to us about some ideas, I think it was something we were both real excited about. I mean, I remember we put together, I think, about 10 uh, sample story ideas. I won't say what they are because I'd still like to do most of them. And there's a lot of people out there some, someday. <laughs> waiting to make chat it easy for our you guys. ideas. Talk about it. Not Swagger jackers. for you guys. <laughs> but we put together 10, <laughs> and uh, this is when Gimlet, uh, was at that other location on Flatbush. Right. And we had a meeting and it was raining and I remember we both got lost and like you ended up down at like the base of the Manhattan Bridge. <laughs> yeah, I was about a bad was, like, I was like wandering the wrong way on Nevin Street or something. So like we basically gave them a good taste of what it was going to be with us. Like we're going to wander into this meeting late. We don't know what the fuck is going on, but here you go. We got some good ideas. Now, I remember we had, I, I don't, I don't remember I got to go back onto my laptop and look at the, some of the other ideas that we discussed, but the whole Chris Lighty thing, like you were, you were focused on that, like initially, like that was one of your initial ideas. Yeah. And you know, truthfully, it's not because I knew that much about the story. It was really just because Lighty's name was something I had been hearing, you know, really since listening to Tribe, you know, Tribe albums, you know, what could Jungle be if he wasn't such a baby, right. De La Soul, I'd be blown, you know, like all these songs, you hear this guy, his name called out. And then, you know, over the years, you realize he's this guy with this prominence in the industry, but I never really knew why. Right. I just knew that he was, and I think, you know, I was probably in a couple of rooms with him. I might have even had some mutual friends with him, but I never met him, certainly one-on-one. And I never really knew exactly what he did. So there's always this mystery about him. 
that kind of uh, was interesting to me to start with. And then when he passed and the, and the way that which he passed, then I was like, the mystery just doubled. Right. So in some ways, yeah, I pitched it and I was I was heavily in favor of it, but I didn't really have much more than just that. Right. <laughs> just like the sense of mystery and all right, something's going on here. And here's a guy who obviously touched a lot of lives. Here's a guy who obviously uh, was a guiding hand behind a lot of incredible music. I knew that much. I knew that, you know, the vitamin water deal. I knew like kind of the big basic kind of moments in his career, but I didn't certainly have any sense of who he was as a as a as a man or kind of some of the things he was facing. I mean, right. obviously, you know, when someone passes in the way that he passed that everything can't be rosy, but I didn't have any idea of the depth of what was going on. So I think probably, you know, that was one of the struggles for us is we were the ones who pitched this idea like hey this is going to be a great story but we kind of walked in blind ourselves right it's kind of crazy man because um you know i knew lighty in the industry and i had done a couple of deals with him and you know the the, the thing that people keep saying throughout this you know throughout our entire process of putting this show together is that you know he was this great guy he was this loyal guy he was this fearless guy but at the same time you really didn't know who he was and I could just attest personally, like, you know, I've been in the room with Lighty. I think I hung out with Lighty one time. Like, we went out to this party. Like, we were out for a couple of hours. And then I just remember, like, and of course, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. But after afterwards, I remember just saying, like, I don't know what that guy was thinking. Like, because, you know, you just always this poker face, not really expressive, you know, just letting you know enough of what he wanted you to know, man. So, so you know, it's 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 interesting that... We we come up with this story, and the deeper we go in, the more of an enigma he is. You know what I'm saying? It's like, who the fuck was this guy, Matt? Like, yeah. Matt, how did you get pulled onto this, man? <laughs> I just randomly got dropped into. It. I'm, right. a, I'm a sort of development producer here at Gimlet, so I help out across a lot of projects. And they were just like, "There's a story about hip hop culture." Let's get this white guy from Scotland who probably knows the least about hip hop <laughs> in all the fucking Gimlet. Let's put him on this. And um, yeah, I sort of kind of fell down the rabbit hole and I don't know, I, I had listened to a bit of hip hop music. We do have that in Scotland, but like, yeah, I just kind of fell in love with the, this world. And I think for me, one of the great strengths about the story is that it's not just about Lighty. It's about the genesis of hip hop. Right. It's about what it was like to be in the Bronx in the 70s, what it was like to be a young black man in particular in the Bronx in the 70s. And this whole kind of like burgeoning art movement and how it sort of like gradually spreads across America and like he's a road manager and he's taking these acts out, you know, across the country. And then as hip hop goes global, he's there for that too. So yeah, I just kind of like fell in love with the story, fell in love with you guys as well, who are really, really fun to hang out with. What's up, Mena? <laughs> yeah. Well, hold on. Let's take it back a second though. What do you, so you're the Scottish guy at Gimlet. Right. Right. And they say, all right, we got a new assignment for you. Yeah. What do you think when they brought this story to you? I mean, obviously, the first the first thing you do is you go into Google and you look at the Wikipedia page and you're just like, oh, he worked with some of the biggest names. And that in itself is interesting. And then you see how his life ended and that there's uh, a lot of contention around the mm. circumstances in which he died. So I was like, okay, you know, we have some of the key ingredients here for what could be a really, really interesting story. And then, like you guys, like the you know, the further we got into it, it was almost like 
the less I knew about him. We spoke to so many people. I, I don't know how many interviews we did, between 50 and 100? Jesus. Probably something like that. Jesus. So, so many. And the, the sense that I got was that he was, he was this sort of blank canvas and people projected kind of whatever they wanted to see about him. Like some people would tell you that he was kind of like solemn and stern. Some people would tell you that he's a joker and is a real fun guy. Some people would say that he's like incredibly affectionate. And then some people would say the opposite. We just heard so many things about him. And I don't know, like at the end of the six part series, I was like, do we know? who he was and I suppose maybe the answer is no but maybe we're all really complex you know people and perhaps that's what some more so than others like. though some more so than others I some think. more so than others yeah yeah, yeah but yeah it's, it's so so deeply fascinating and it's you know it's a real gift to to get to do this project with you guys thank you man you know I'm kind of sh- uh, shell-shocked because it was so intense mm-hmm. that I don't even know how did we put this like how do we put this narrative together like how did we start well that's what I was going to ask Matt because weaving this thing right. man when you so when you got the call that all right we're going to do this this podcast about Lady's mm-hmm. life what other shows out there were you thinking of in terms of this sort of narrative podcast that, you know, would be similar? Yeah. So th- there were a few sources of inspiration for me. One was the uh, the incredible O.J. Simpson doc on um, ESPN. And the, the reason that I loved that so much and was so kind of influenced by that was because it, it didn't just look at O.J. It looked at the entire kind of like social context around him. And I thought that that was something we should do with this story. Like we should take Lighty, but we also, we need to talk about the Bronx. We need to talk about like hip hop, where it came from and why it came into being. Um, I was massively um, influenced by that. And also the, the great um, Iggy Pop narrated documentary, uh, Burrows at 100. Um, you can find that on, on This American Life, which is a great sort of like, you know, overview of an artist's life which i suppose we were doing something similar with lighty but had this real strong presence of iggy pop the narrator he wasn't just sort of like reading a script he's very much invested and involved in the story and you reggie like this is as much as this is like chris lighty's tale like it's your tale too you were there for a lot of this stuff so i knew that kind of when we embarked on this like you had to be more than just like a guy reading the script like you had to be in the story and there's so many like beautiful moments like in in episode one when you're talking about like, the importance of sneakers and the stuff that where you really connect with the subject and you're like such like a a big uh part of it do you, is it does that <laughs> am i doing yeah, what you I mean, want I'm me make, to do i'm here? making a mental note to go check out the it's yeah, that, william barrows william is about it's called him burrows at 100 yeah you know, but but like one of the things I'm like, and I think maybe this is probably where Morrow's coming from is that, you know, we're we're doing all these interviews and we have all of this source material, mm. but then we start to have to, we actually have to weave this narrative. We have to yeah. like, how what what's that process like? Like like because yeah. you guys did a lot of the weaving of the of the. I mean, you wrote a lot of this narrative, man. Like, what's that process like? Yeah, so what so what it is is you you sit down, you do the interview with say whoever it is. Let's say for example like Fat Joe, right? And maybe you get like say total ten or fifteen minutes of Fat Joe in the entire series, but we spoke to him for like you know two hours in total. So you take that interview and you sort of like you isolate like the best moments the sort of the most compelling insightful illuminating stories about lighty 
and you pull those moments out and you do that for sort of every interview that you have and you have these like these key sort of source anecdotes and you start to shuffle them around and you figure out okay maybe this will go in this episode maybe we're gonna say do an episode that will be themed around kind of like Lighty's like great signings and the kind of moments where he like got key acts and stuff and you'll start to group things together and then you'll start to sort of like see like a narrative arc and a through line and how you get from the beginning which in our case is people have just heard is is him being dead and then how you go kind of you step back and you take his childhood and you work through the each the phases process. of his life yeah the phases of his existence right. in his life and you sort of say, okay, like that story Warren G tells, that's going to fit into kind of the episode which is going to be about Lighty's great successes and him discovering Warren G and, you know, regulate blowing up and becoming massive. That's going to go in there. And then you get sort of other stories about maybe things not going so well for him. And you're like, maybe that will go in episode four or five when things are starting to take a turn for the worse. So yeah, it's it's basically just a case of like, you take the material, you look for the best bits, the funniest bits, the most interesting bits, the, the bits that people want to hear, and you just take those moments and you just sort of line them up and say, okay, this is this is our story. This is how we get from A to B. You know what's crazy, though, is that, you know, as much as we put into this story, there's so much, there's so much, there's hours and hours and hours yeah. of content mm -hmm. that we weren't able to put yeah. into this story. I mean, you know, just... And I'm, of course, I know that, that you guys here are, re like, are really careful about, you know, locking into stories that you know you can fact check and prove. Mm. But we've heard some amazing stories that even if we couldn't fact check them would just, you know, I felt would like add to just like the, the, the heightened sense of entertainment with regard to Lighty's life. Like we had this one um, interview where we heard at some point in his life he was kidnapped by this major kingpin from Harlem. Yes, yeah. And I was like, yo, that shit is hot. How you know? And it's, but like, how do like, how do we like, I understand you just answered the question, but still, when you hear something like that, mm -hmm. when you hear like at, a, at an early age, Chris Lighty was, was, was allegedly kidnapped by a Harlem dr drug kingpin. Yeah. How do we not put that in, man? It's right. called, a, it's called lawyers. It's, it's, is, is it what it's called? Exactly. Is, is it, is that what it's called? It's, it's like protecting Chris, that? Chris just answered the question. Yeah. Perfectly. We, yeah. uh, we, we operate a little bit looser, uh, over at loudspeakers. Yeah. We can, we can talk about that story on this platform. Yeah. Gimlet. We don't have lawyers yeah. on retainer. Right. Gimlet's just... a little more buttoned yeah. up, I think. Yeah. That story was just like, it was it was a great story, and you know you paint the picture in your head, and I, now you've just teased your audience, and they're probably all going to want to hear that story now. Uh, but I'm sorry, you can't because it's impossible to verify it. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. It's, it's all like alleged. <laughs> right. It was it like there was no way to sort of fact check it or verify it, and yeah, I don't know. Like um, there, there's a chance that we could catch a lawsuit. So unfortunately, some of the juiciest stuff didn't didn't make it into the show, but. I mean, there's still there's still a lot of crazy stuff in there. So, it's so not, much stuff. But lacking. I think I think that was like a real learning experience for us because I think for Reggie and I, like, and I should say to back up one second, like, we're treating this episode right now as if people, the audience, has only heard the first episode right, of Mogul. Right, right. Chances are, some of you have listened to the whole thing in, on Spotify, and maybe that might be a little frustrating for you. But we don't want to spoil. Yeah. Uh, what's to come for the people who are going to listen to it on iTunes or SoundCloud? Or Chris Lighty does not get kidnapped, right, at any point throughout the series <laughs> right. of Mogul, right? right? But having said that, um, without going into the detail again, 
I think one of the real, you know, the learning curve for us was we're talking to these people and we are getting these incredible stories and our instinct it's is, the, fuck it, yeah, let's go. Yeah. Put it right in there. Right. You know, and I think um, what we really had to be, I don't want to say taught, but like we had to realize like, no, like this is the aspect of journalism that we frankly haven't been doing a whole, you know, no. Okay. Who can verify that? Who can fact check that? Can we get someone else to say that on record? No, they won't say that on record. What about this person? What about that person? And, you know, I think in the end it made for definitely a stronger project. And I think it made us all kind of like sharpen our skills right. as journalism, as yeah. journalists. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there was definitely a lot of stuff where if it had been up to you and me, probably <laughs> we, <laughs> it would have been like hashtag kid, you know, you know, whatever the case may but, be. But when, when you, when you decide to do a, a phenomenal project like this, um, don't you have the responsibility to, um, uh, because you can control the narrative, you have the responsibility to kind of paint the picture that there was more to Chris than the spicy shit that's out there or the hearsay. Like, yeah. And I think than, we did that. Right. Whereas it, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like yeah. when you went in, in the beginning process of it, when you know that you could keep, you could <clears> add that and take the risk, but you just figure out, you know what? Right. He was more than just the alleged story you know, or, or the spicy shits, if you will. Yeah, and I think one of the feedback we got from people who knew him in the industry was like, hey, we appreciate that you guys didn't go for that right off the bat. Right. That it wasn't, all right, this is the salacious shit that's going yeah. to grab a headline. Right. But actually, like, it was a way more nuanced, thoughtful, you know, portrait. But but King just said something um, that I think is important and I want all of us to discuss is that you said that when we were putting this together, we were controlling the narrative. But I kind of feel like the narrative, in a sense, controlled us. Like, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You can, can we talk about that? Yeah. Like, like it's hard to. It was. It, this is like what I realize is this is hard to say. This is you know right. this is going to be the the fucking story, part A, part B, part C. It it just takes you, and you you don't you can't anticipate where this thing is going to take you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I think we all had a very different idea of where this thing was going to go when we embarked on it. But then you talk to more and more people and you you get these different sort of like shades and nuances and you get dragged in these different directions. Um, so people, unless you've listened on Spotify, you wouldn't have heard the sort of the third episode, which is mostly about like Warren G. And that that was something that kind of I don't think we'd necessarily planned for the majority of one episode to be about Warren G. But he just happened to be one of those guys that we met him and we spoke to him and he was just like so fucking compelling and so amazing and such a great storyteller. We're just like, all right, like this Warren this guy has to get his own episode. And I suppose when people hear it, they'll agree maybe he should get his own series, his own TV show, Warren G. The movie. <laughs> the cartoon or something. <laughs> the cartoon. Now, Warren G. was great, man. And that was a great get, man, because, you know, for those that, that, that don't know about how we got Warren G., like, we flew out to L.A., uh, Matt, myself, and um, Mena, to sit down with Warren G. And I, we were there for, from, like, what, a, a Friday to, like, Sunday night. Right. But... Uh, you decided to stay an extra day, and we when we got to we couldn't find Warren G. We, we we were able to sit down with Russell, but we could not find Warren G. So I fly back thinking we didn't get Warren G. How did you land the Warren G? Because you conducted that interview all, all on your own, man. I did, I did. Yeah, it was you. You had literally just arrived at the airport when I got a call from uh, we employed a booker to to help us get some celebrities and stuff. 
And she was like, right, we've got Warren, like, saddle up. You've got to get to this, I forget where this town was. It's this obscure town outside of LA. And I was like, Reggie, are you like, have you boarded? You got to come back. But you were just like, I don't know, you you were just about to board. Yeah. So I had to go and like get get Warren G myself. And um, was that was that was that was, were you kind of intimidated at having? Yeah, to do that? he was texting me saying, "I don't know what I should do." I was, yeah, I was, I, I was shitting myself. <laughs> why? Like, uh, but why though? I don't know. Well, it, <laughs> I said, "Just go there, man." He was like, "I don't know. Is it right? They won't tell me what building it is." I was just like, start knocking yeah, on doors. Like, like you, you, before you go, like you have the. I think that you have this thing where, um, and and you even said it at the at the at the top of the at this episode. Like I'm this white guy from scotland i'm this white but that you kind of actually hold on to that like as a as a mechanism right and and so i because you know in this culture like yeah of course there's different people but i don't i think you kind of carried that on your own yeah i mean maybe well to to be fair by this point in the project right i'd i'd done enough of it that i i sort of was less burdened with those feelings <laughs> it was more just because everybody fucking knows regulate everybody right. knows warren g right. like regulators mount up like that i mean that song was huge in scotland as well so i was like fuck it's warren g and um the place where i met him was really random as well yes it's like recording studio but it's out on some sort of like industrial estate surrounded by like offices and like random businesses and stuff and I, like I couldn't find it, and I, I met someone in the parking lot and was like, "I'm looking for Warren G," <laughs> and they were just like, "Oh, okay, like wait here," and they went outside, and there was this sort of this office with all like blacked out windows and stuff, and the guy like disappears in, comes out, and he's like, "Okay," and like go up and like knock on the door, and like it opens up, and there's just like smoke like floods out of it, <laughs> weed smoke, weed smoke, yeah. And there's like Warren G and he's just stood there with like a blunt and he's talking to someone on the phone and he like looks at me, looks at the blunt, looks back at me, looks at the blunt and he just like passes me the joint before he's even said anything right. to me. <laughs> and I was just like... And did you oh, reach shit. out? Did you reach out and grab the blunt, man? Nah, I was just oh. like, I was like, nah, I, 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 I've, I've got to work. Like, right. I've got to do an interview, fucking interview Warren G. I can't, can't smoke a joint. Right. Um, but he just like finished off his conversation and... And sat down with him, but he was expecting you. Like he, he wanted you. He was like, "Of course." He was like, "Where's Reggie? What's, <laughs> what's this guy?" And I was just like, I had to explain that you were, you were like midair, like right. on a flight back to New York. And I was like, "Fuck!" Like <laughs> you're gonna have to like make do with me. And he is just like, I'm, "Was he disappointed, or did you get a sense that he was disappointed?" Or I mean, bro, well, he's not got combat, Jack. He's I know, but I'm saying, guy. did you get, did you get a sense? Or, or was he was he cool about it? I think he was he was cool about it, but right. he definitely like he expected you. Like our styles of interviewing are are different because like Combat Jack is way more like fluid and conversation and let's like chop it up, let's shoot the shit. Whereas I'm I'm just like more like cold hard, like give me stories, yeah. like tell me the stories in detail. And a lot of the stuff I was asking him, he'd done on your show. Like I was asking him about um when he was kind of discovered by Paul Stewart for like Indo Smoke, and how then that record got passed on to Chris Lighty, who was like, okay, like we gotta get this guy, we gotta sign this guy, and he ends up at Def Jam, and that kind of saves Def Jam. That that whole sort of story that we get into in episode three, and I really wanted all those details, but he was just like, I fucking told Reggie this, like I've already said all this stuff, and I was like, but no, like please, like, <laughs> you need to say it again. 
And we were like reached this like moment of impasse where I was like, he was talking about the day he he met Paul Stewart, who's right. a kind of well known record producer. I think he's he's been on your show before. Yes. Right? Yeah. He was talking about like that day, and I was like, but no, like tell me more. Like what was Paul Stewart wearing? Like what what were you wearing? Like all the dumb shit that like radio producers like ask to get like really kind of rich, like vivid kind of visual stories. And he was just like he got so frustrated. And there's this clip of him we actually use in the episode where he's just like so I, what else do you want me to tell you uh, how i walked to the bathroom and pissed and was drinking hennessy and shitted probably eating food what what else do i need to tell you those are good details. what socks i had on <laughs> do you remember no i don't <laughs> and then like he, he kind of like after that like his i suppose his spirit was like somewhat broken he's like i'm not gonna get fucking rid of this guy until, like, I give up the goods so he just like told the stories and he was great though. That is like that is like probably one of the top ten coolest things that's happened in my entire smoke, life. You didn't smoke weed, that's why. If you just took a little pull, he yeah. probably would feel comfortable. Right, right, right. So <laughs> next time I should just take drugs uh, if, if they're offered to me. You know, just just be part of like the social, right. the social circle, man. You know, I definitely want to talk about another interview that we had, man. That that. We had such high expectations for, but we had to go through so much shit and we didn't get as much as we wanted to is when we flew down to Miami to interview Noriega. Yes. You know, drink champs Noriega. Let's talk about that, man. Like, you know, I know that, um, you know, it's weird, man. Like Nori, you know, I love Nori and and Nori have, Nori and I have history. Um, but it's, it's ill. When we went to Miami, um, it was almost like, and I guess this is some rapper shit also, but it's like, we set a time to meet, but that time kept moving. Let's move it up. Let's move it back. Let's move it this. Let's move it that. Oh, we're doing drink champs. Oh, you absolutely have to come on drink champs first. And like, what were your concerns, man? Like, because it was like, we had, we went through hell yeah. trying to lock down Nori, man. Well, my biggest concern was that for those of you who are familiar with, with drink champs, is it involved, <laughs> involves uh, drinking, yes, right? Yes. So you were drinking for like, hours and that show that show was like what was it a four hour like we were well well, first and foremost damn we had to wait for him for like two hours yeah maybe three yeah it was hot in miami we had to wait for him for three hours Mm -hmm. because they didn't start the show it's not like where we have an episode of the combat jack show or you guys have a gimlet interview and we say we're going to start at 10 o'clock and we start at 10 fucking guy shows up three hours late Right. And it's a fucking zoo already. Like the the setup is for for where they shoot drink champs is a zoo. It's like about twenty five to forty people in there. Mm. Um, it's 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 mad weed. Tiger it's bowl. mad alcohol. Uh-huh. And I'm trying to pace myself. Like I'm there. Like yo, come on, DJ EFN is like, come on, let's drink. I'm like, no, I'm good. No, I'm good. I then I took a little sip because I I also knew that you know to be on drink champs and it kind of like disarm these guys that i had to drink and then mm-hmm. they started passing around weed and i was like no i don't know if i took a toke i don't know if i did but it's, that shit was a, a marathon even before nori got there man and then yeah. he gets there wow. and then it's like nori's drunk right he's drunk he's slurring and then the fucking drink champs episode is three fucking hours what are you thinking man like how do you how do you enjoy that man yeah well the thing for me, like as as the producer, is like I I've my job is to basically get Reggie to you know set him up so he can do his best interview possible, 
and I suppose to make the guest comfortable as well so they can kind of give their best interview possible. And these, like, the way the circumstances lined up was basically that exact opposite of the, that. Like, what are the worst circumstances you can imagine to do an interview? <laughs> like, the fucking, the host is hammered, the guest is hammered, everyone's high, like, it's a really, like, noisy room. Like, There's mad like, people. Nori had, like, a mad amount of cats that were following us, and they were, like, like we went, yeah. That's entourage. why I was texting, I was texting them for that, too. I was like, make sure you get that shit before they taped the We couldn't, though, man. I, 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 well, it's easy for me to say that sitting in my apartment. <laughs> Dude, we I was were like, because like, I could see it, even though I couldn't see it. I was like, get the mogul shit first. Don't wait till after drink, because I just knew what was going to go down. I mean, he kind of, Nori kind of held us hostage. He right, was well, like, I mean, you can't get this interview until you get on Drink Champs. And I mean, you know, for, for for you know the history of drink chance, that was actually kind of f- of a funny episode with the oh, two chains yeah, and yeah, and yeah. Jack Thriller and the whole nine. Right, right. But then ultimately, like was 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 I that hammered? Was I that hammered when it came down to interviewing him? I mean, you you um, held it together, yeah. Like you, it was a Herculean effort by you because you were just like <laughs> drinking all night and um yeah no you you were good. You could I mean you could de- definitely tell you you'd had a few right. drinks, but. Yeah, I mean, Naughty was like, he was kind of like slurring his words. A faga figure. Instead like, of father figure, he kept saying faga figure. Yeah, he he was like not necessarily on, on his game. But I mean, like, f- fair enough, though. He, he gave us some really insightful stories. And there's there's the one that kind of makes it in uh, to to the series where he, uh, not, not to give it away for people who haven't heard, but he, he talks about his wedding day and how Chris Lighty kind of had a big role in Nori's wedding, uh, in particular, the positioning of his socks. So I'm yeah, leave that don't, don't don't give it away. Don't to give understand it away. that story, you have to listen. You to have the, to listen to the, to the episodes. Yeah, but it's it's a really cool story. And he said something else which we didn't use, but was very sort of insightful for me. And he was like asking, "Do you watch Entourage?" He was saying this to me, and yes. I was like, "No, I don't." And then he called me a foul human being. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's cool. Nori just called me a fucking foul human being. Did that's he say cool. you're a foul fucking human? Foul, foul human being, yeah. He's like, <laughs> do you watch Entourage? And I was like, no. And he was like, well, because you're a foul human being. But, <laughs> but I was like, all right, Nori, fine. Um, and then he he goes on to talk about, what's the name of the agent again? Ari. 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 Ari Gold. Ari Gold. I actually just watched Entourage for the first time last month. Oh, well, you're a foul human being, too. No, that show is foul. I couldn't believe how fucked up that show is. I can't believe that shit was a hit, but keep going. So he's, he's, he's talking about Ari Gold, and he says, like, look, the thing about Ari Gold is he has one favorite client. It's all about that guy, Vince. Yes. Vince. I'm telling the story really badly because I, I don't watch that fucking show. But he's like, yeah, he like he loves Vinny Chase. He's like, his number one guy is Vinny Chase. For Chris Lighty, all of his clients were Vinny Chase. Right. Like he loved all of his guys. Right. Every single one of them, he'd do anything for them. And I know it was just one of those things that just sort of like cracked open like another element of like who Lighty was and like what he meant to the industry. I was like, okay, I, I understand that. Like he, he, you know, really went the extra mile for his, for all of his people. And that's, that's something that we found out later on as well. So, so why don't we use that tape? That's good. It just it just didn't fit in. Okay. I, I feel it. Like I've been put on the spot for our editorial decisions. <laughs> it's not just me as well. We have a whole team of editors. Right. These aren't just my decisions. You know, I, one of the stories he told also, which 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 stuck in my mind, is like you know, Chris helped me make my first million, mm-hmm. and it just put into context because I you know I don't know the 
you know, you could sit back and you could look at these guys and you could surmise or, or, or try to guess what their net worth is. But then when they actually tell you, like, and of course it could have been embellishment too, but like, it was something about him saying, like, Chris really made sure I made my first million. Like, yeah. like that was like, it, that was kind of like the theme that I got from some of the people that, I, that we spoke to. It's like, you know, I'm going to go hard with you. And then when you fa- make your first million, you're going to find I'll just be here to support you, which was kind of ill, man. It was, yeah. You know? Well, I mean, one of his greatest legacies, I suppose, is he, he empowered a, a lot of people to, to make a lot of money. He made a lot of, a lot of black millionaires and the way that he kind of structured deals as well, where people could like get equity and get their share rather than getting a one-off payment. You know, like if you advertise something, you, and that company blows up, you're going to get paid because that company's blown up and you're going to keep receiving checks. So yeah, that is, yeah, that again, that sort of Nori thing kind of like was like, yeah, that's, that's like an epiphany. That's why light is so important. Yeah. Chris, were there any stories that, that you were interested in, 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 in having fleshed out that didn't materialize about Chris? Uh, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to necessarily, uh, say what they were were because um i think that'll give away part of the rest of the show for those people who haven't listened to it yet but i you know i think overall we covered a lot you know i if if anything uh i would say you know i would have liked to have done even more episodes Mm. i would say that would be more so than one story why don't we do more episodes what 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 was is that the powers that be that only had this at six episodes because that's been the only real complaint well i mean look let's yeah. let's tell the truth and you know maybe you know we'll 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 air a little bit of our dirty laundry right now for right. the audience um there was probably a moment where you know this thing was looking kind of shaky yeah behind the scenes uh you know were we going to be able to to pull this off and um you know matt you can you don't have to give the official Gimlet Company line, but my Chris Morrow sense was um, we're gonna lose this. I don't know. We weren't gonna lose, lose this, but like, I, right, you know, where's this going? We were working on it for a long time. There like, were, I remember at the six month mark, it was like, yeah, there were moments where it felt like maybe we were spinning our wheels a little bit. Um, and now, I think now that we're on the other side of it, we know that that's the process, right? But for, as as Alex Bloomberg recently told us, yeah, like, every show, and you know, like, and I know that from working on books, which isn't the same necessarily as this, but like, you know, I've written a lot of books, but I still know that every time I sit down to start a new one, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to be able to pull this off. Like, this is impossible. This shit ain't happening. I should just call these guys right now and tell them, take your money back. Yeah. Just like this, this isn't going to work. And then you get past that. And there are like these moments where you're like, uh, man, like take your money back. I quit. I'm going to go start a farm somewhere. You know, like I'm out of this whole thing. And then you get through that. Uh, but I think, you know, for us, this the first time doing a project of this nature, you know, maybe that moment came earlier than I was, exp- you know, we were like, whoa. So I think there was a moment where, you know, probably from Gimlet's side, it was like, okay, maybe if they hedge their bets by saying this is going to be a six part episode right. as opposed to an eight or whatever this could have potentially been. I think there was a moment where they were like, all right, this thing actually has the legs and we're going to make it where we want to go. Yeah. What do you think on that? I I think, you know what it was, is like when you're booking for a story like this, 
you know you you get the the initial round of interviews and you you have a lot of connections in in the industry reggie and that was really helpful but we reached the point where we kind of got the people that you knew and it was hard to get anyone else because a lot of them like maybe they don't know what gimlet is or they're not sure what we're trying to do here why do another you know some people had already been on a combat jackson they're like right you want me to come back on the podcast and was kind of hard to explain to them that this wasn't the exactly. Combat Jack show. Yeah, and people didn't really know what we we're doing. And it, I think it was just one of those where we kind of like, we ran out of steam, we ran out of momentum, but then we got a few big bookings. And I think that was around the time we got Russell Simmons, the Warren G interview came through. And then you can go to people and you can say, look, we're doing this thing. We have Russell, we have Ro- Warren, we have like DJ Red Alert, we have da 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 da. And then you start to pick up momentum and then it, it, it gets faster and faster. And then as we approached the finish line, I suppose, you know, I I agree, like, maybe there was enough material to, to do more episodes. I will point out, though, that there's the Fat Joe bonus. So Fat Joe bonus, which is great. Te- technically, is there great. is seven of them. Fat, we oh, could, yeah, right. Season two should just be Fat Joe. Just all Fat Joe, yeah. <laughs> all Fat so Joe. Good. But let me ask you, man, do you find, did you find that um, coming into this world um and getting people to open up about chris did you find that it was more difficult than in uh, any other type of projects that you may have worked on or or that gimlet has that, that gimlet's worked on i mean for for me personally i i haven't worked on anything like right. this before where uh congratulations by the way this is your first major project right yeah well i i've done some stuff before but um yeah this is my first like six part series um yeah and i mean people don't want to hear like my professional backstory but like i i did a lot of like sports stories and like human interest pieces so the like most powerful thing i've done is like the first soccer game for nycfc at yankee stadium that that was like kind of the, the shit that i was doing right i hadn't done something where like a life has been lost and you're like and in such like uh you know early tragic way and people are still confused about exactly how it happened so yeah, I hadn't I hadn't dealt with that sort of stuff before. So it was it was really new for me as well. But I mean, I think that the only sort of toolkit you can bring into that is like being like a human being and and understanding, you know, you have to do your job, um, and you have to get the best material. But at the same time, you have to like have like a heart and try to you know uh, be sensitive to to how people are feeling. Although I will say that there's probably a fair amount of tension because you were the ultimately the one who had to ask the questions right. and I'm the one sat there like prodding you and being like, well, this is, you have to ask all these uncomfortable questions about, you know, somebody taking their own life and all, all this other stuff that's going on. So that, that was definitely a hard sort of dynamic for us to figure out. Yeah. We, you know, I mean, we have other shows on loudspeakers where other hosts or talent definitely go for the hard questions. That's definitely not my style. Mm. Um, and I found that to be just difficult to, to get over, you know, because, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. I knew that she was very important to the show, um, having Lighty's mom involved. But she was the last person I wanted to speak to. Like, I did not want to speak to her because it was just so emotionally just overwhelming. You, you, you know what I mean? And, and, yeah. and, and. And you guys knew at a certain point, like, he does not want to talk to her, but you guys kept fucking pushing. And I, it, in, the, in the long run, it worked, but you had to know I didn't want to speak to her. You had to know I did, I mean, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's like, it's probably the most unpleasant part of the job for me is to ask 
somebody to do something that they they don't want to do. But ultimately, we knew that if you have Lighty's family, it's just that the emotional resonance of the entire show is just going to be increased by, you know, 100, 200 times. So we just, we had to do, you know, we had to just sort of make some awkward phone calls and, and do some things. But I mean, when we actually went and did the interview, I think that, you know, you had a really good rapport and, you know, um, it was, it was hard for her, but I, I guess, you know, it's, it's nice for people to be able to kind of tell these stories and to, you know, remember a loved one and, and, um, yeah, hopefully kind of add to their legacy. You know, talk about, um, you know, once again, for those that haven't listened to the, to the series, there's a point where we, we just uncover some things. Talk about how you guys were able to, 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 to get some of these, you know, like police reports and medical reports. And like, how do you get that? Like, how do you get that stuff, man? I mean, we used private investigators. There's Jesus. a lot of interns making right. uh, trips back and forth to various uh, municipal and state, uh, you know, offices and facilities. I mean, we can't. I don't want to say exactly who went where because right. again, that's going to give a lot of stuff away. Right, but right. Uh, right. Like there was there tax information. Like oh, yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of legwork that went into this. Um, but I think that's where you get the depth of the reporting that we did where it's just not, you know, Hey, let's just Google this and see what it says, but let's actually go to the source material. Right. Let's some, let's send somebody to the courthouse. Let's send somebody to, uh, you know, like you said, the tax offices, whatever it may be. Let's call this attorney. Let's call that person. Um, and then, you know, I think that again, for us in terms of the process, like we had to wrap our heads around it. And you could do all that. You could send this person to the courthouse. You could get this private investigator. And even and they can bring back some really interesting, tantalizing information and still not use it just because we can't then collaborate that with, you know, the right amount of sources. So, um, you know, this is this was real journalism. This was real, you know, roll up your sleeves uh, and just get into the material and find out what's out there. Um, what else are we talking about, guys? <laughs> what else do you guys want to talk about? I don't, I'm I'm curious just to kind of hear about your experience of of making it because it was a story that was that was close to home for you in a lot of ways. It was a, very different to what you'd done. Like I don't know, like how is the past? Because we've been doing this for over a year. Yeah, how's it been? Um, you know, it's it's funny because when I came into this. When we started this project, I, I made it a point that I didn't have any expectations. So, you know, even knowing that, you know, the, the process would be different, that it'd be something that I never did before, I, I came in with no expectations. Um, and, and even like, you know, like you said, we probably had interviewed like 50 to 100 people, like, you know, at a certain point, fatigue set in because you know it's not this is not the only thing that i'm doing it's like the combat jack show and serious and then the family and the whole nine so at a certain point i hit fatigue but at the same time it was like because i didn't have any expectations it's like i knew it was going to be a marathon but it was hard like just physically it was hard and then you know after a while as we started getting deeper into lighty's life and, and, you know, you know, like I said, we don't want to give it away, but at some points the story gets really heavy mm-hmm. and that heaviness just, just holds you. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, I want, you can't, like, you know, I would go home and try to shower 
the heaviness away and it just wouldn't go away because we still had to go through that that part of the story so it was it was it was challenging it was really really challenging i mean at the same time it was really satisfying you know um i don't want to say i got bored but just in terms of like the explosion of like rap and urban voices in the podcast sphere last year i was like i want to see something bigger i want to be involved with something bigger and what was encouraging me to move forward was like this was it like i kept promising that at least with regard to our stories like this was going to change the game so that kept encouraging but at the same time it was tough it was it was really really tough and also even getting accustomed to the culture of gimlet you know where um I get it. Like you, you, you have to go hard for the story, but sometimes it was like, you know, I'm such an emotional person. I just felt that sometimes we had to do things from my perspective that was just emotionally cold. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like, like the pushy, like, you know, like I'm not a pushy guy. So that part was just, it was just hard to adapt to. But then once I think once we hit a certain point and we got the momentum to close this, you know, not even knowing if it was going to be like two or three months down the line. It's like, okay, I got it now. I got it. But it was fucking tough, man. This is a fucking beast. Like I just, the only thing I can compare this to is when I did, uh, when I used to take Bikram yoga (laughs) and there's this 30 day challenge where you, you know, they challenge you to take Bikram 30 days consecutively and I had done 30 days of Bikram and I didn't, and you know, I just felt just, I just felt bugged out. Like I was like, I, I don't even know who I am anymore. You know, you know what I mean? So it's kind of like with this at a certain point, it's like, you're just fucking shell shock. It's just like, and you just got to keep moving forward. You got to keep moving forward. You got to keep moving forward, but very satisfying, man. Definitely look forward to, to, to doing this again. Um, still want to enjoy this little break though. Cause I'm still fucking fatigued yeah. from this process, you know? decompress yeah man yeah man it's 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 tough and then you know just like you know um the reality of it is it is hip-hop and um i am accessible to a lot of the people that that we spoke to and and one of the things that i was concerned is you never know how you know even with the combat jack show i've said some things and then you it 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 it, it takes a life of its own and then you never know how people are going to react. And in this instance, we're talking about somebody that so many people love from like, from like, from the boardroom to the streets. And it's like, damn, if somebody takes us the wrong way, like, how am I, you know what I'm saying? Does this add stress to my life? I have to watch where I go now because somebody's offended by what we've uncovered about Lighty. So that was also taxing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that was really, really taxing. I mean, and recently I, I was someplace and not that, you know, you know, not that. I think everyone's taken, even the people closest to Lighty, I think they've taken this, like they, they really appreciate this story. But I think some people wanted more involvement. I think some people, you know, they wanted to, they wanted to be part of this project. They, mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's been people that's just been calling me, calling me, calling me, calling me. I'm just like, ah, it's like, yo, I, you know, I have a private life too. I have a social life too. It's not just moguls, not the combat jack show. So it's just having to adapt to that as well. Like, People like wanting to hold on to me to extend this story beyond what the story is. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a, it's a real burden as well, just sort of like taking on this, <coughs> this massive story and kind of living with somebody's life for like over a year. Um, and I, I found that as well. Like you just, it just sort of like consumes you. Like yeah, I had like, there's a bunch of pictures of him in like our office. Like you'd always kind of see him and, and, 
again not not to give things away but um i guess how we kind of perceived him or who we thought he was changed a lot during the course of the thing and it kind of morphed and and he's a really complicated guy um with like jesus this guy was complicated yeah there's there's a lot of light there but there's also a lot of darkness and it was it was hard like it just sort of took an emotional toll you'd come in and you'd find something out and you know i've never met lighty but you almost feel like you know the person right. because you spend so much time talking you know we sat with his you know his mother his sister his, his brothers and stuff and it's yeah it was it was really hard yeah i think actually you know what i was going to ask you when do you think you know chris was saying that at a certain point like we didn't know where we were going mm-hmm. at what point did the story like at what point did we like get that extra gas to keep going yeah i mean for for me I gotta go back to my man Warren G. Like yeah. he, like he was just so good. And then I just I I knew exactly what that episode was going to be. And we we actually, if if you remember the process, we built out from the middle. So Warren G. is the third episode, um, and that was the first one that I sort of built. That was the first one when we got you into the studio and and you you kind of you did your tracking. And the first thing where everything kind of came together, where you, you took these these elements, and I, I suppose like our sort of like traditional documentary, audio documentary style, and we just sort of inter that was kind of interweaved with with like you and like what the unique sort of like voice that you have, which is is very different from a lot of other voices you hear on the radio. To be fair, um, and that was the first time we sort of realized the potential of what this thing could could be and it felt really fucking good and really cool and like funny and emotional and just compelling and and you sounded so good as well and everybody was like oh my god like this is just going to be great and then we sort of knew like yeah we really have something there and we built back from there it was like okay we have 3 how do we get there let's do episodes 1 and 2 and then we did the back half later on. So, yeah, he really, like, I, I think, like, that L.A. trip, like, I mean, a lot of crazy stuff happened. And we like, there was a time when we thought we we're going to come back with nothing. I was like, shit, maybe I'm going to get fired. <laughs> like, come back were, were with, you, like. You, were you constantly concerned that you were going to get fired? No, nah, I, didn't, I didn't really think I was going to get back fired. Back to the sports but, beat. <laughs> I, I, right. I was just like, oh, you know, my bosses will be, people will be disappointed. I've right. wasted a bunch of company money, like, going to LA. Was LA after Miami? LA was... Uh, after. Yeah, it was, it was after. And, you know, like, we got that one story out of Nori that was great, but, like, to be fair, we internally had hyped that a lot. Yeah. We had been like, yo, Nori is the greatest Only story. because he's got so much momentum right, right. now. With, no, with... but we had been like, yo, Nori is, like, the guy we need because he's the best storyteller and we're going to come away with so much amazing tape from this interview and then, you know, you guys came back and there was like, all right, we got maybe, you know, like... <laughs> two minutes so yeah i think i think the pressure probably really was on for la because if you come back because la was also russell simmons right yes yes so russell simmons and warren and g. warren g so like if you come back from that with uh russell didn't give us anything and we couldn't find warren g you know his studio was locked you know yeah, yeah that's we, a problem we would have been completely fucked fucked but. right yeah but now it came together. That that Russell Simmons, like I get, I guess maybe the purpose of this show is to kind of give people behind the behind the scenes. But that was a unique experience as well. Like he is, he is an exceptional 
It's, it's like let's very, talk about Russell. Like, 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 different. like, like Chris, you work with Russell. Like you, out of everybody in this room, man, you deal with Russell the most, man. Like, like, like who is Russell these days, man? Uh, I mean, that's a big question. Uh, you know, Russell's a unique character. I love Russell. Like, you know, he's a friend of mine and has, uh, you know, definitely done a lot for me in terms of my career. Like I owe a lot of what I've been able to achieve just kind of to him giving me that kickstart a while ago. I mean, you know, who is Russell? I mean, the one thing I will say about Russell, you know, when people ask me that is, you know, the thing I really kind of admire about him maybe more so than like oh he built this company or sold that company is for a powerful guy you know for a guy who kind of has worlds orbiting around him and we know a lot of people like that who are like the kings Mm -hmm. of their own universe most people like that you can't speak freely to them you can't you're not accessible it's not even that accessible like you got to be a yes man and you got to kind of tell them what they want to hear russell you can say anything to that guy and anybody can say it. Right. You know, it doesn't matter. If you meet him on the street, you can tell him that's the stupidest shit I've ever seen. And he's not going to toss you out of the room. But he's, it seems like he also actually looks for that. He looks for it. And I think that's his strength. That's what's always interesting about him is now Russell might say anything to you. You know what I mean? You have to be ready that Russell could say anything to you. Like he said to, to you. What did he say to you? What do you call you? This white motherfucker? Who's this white motherfucker? Right. So <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like you might get a little knocked off balance by him, but if you would, I don't know what you said in reply, but you could have said anything to him and he would have been cool with it. Whereas there's some other hip hop moguls out there or moguls in any industry. If they say some wild shit to you and you come right back at it, then you're out of there. So, you know, they don't want that back and forth. Russell lives for that shit. Yeah. Well, the the first time I I met him was kind of crazy because we arrived a bit early and I was just like, it was set up by his assistant. And I said to the front desk, like, I just want to go to the assistant and tell her we're here. And she's like, okay. Um, the receptionist is like, go, go to that room over there. So I walk into this room. I see his assistant. She's on the phone and she just sort of like holds up a finger and is like, what, one moment, just let me finish this call. So I'm just sort of stood in this room and I hear this voice that I, I hadn't really kind of gotten my bearings and looked around, but I just hear this voice and it's just like, who the fuck is this? <laughs> and I turn around and it's Russell Simmons. And he's like sat, he had this, it was like a like Bond villain type setup. He had like this sort of like circular desk and it just seemed to have like all these screens around it. And he's just like there with like eight different screens and like magazines piled high. And he's just like looking at me and he's just like, who the fuck are you? And like, I was just like, I can't remember what I said to him. I was like, oh, something really dumb. Like, oh, I'm really surprised to see you there. And he's just thinking like, it's my fucking office. Who do you expect to see? But I was like, I'm Matthew... Nelson and he's like, who the who the fuck is this? And I was like, I'm Combat Je- Reggie Reggie O'Say interview, and he I think he knows you as Combat Jack. Right, right. So he was just like, who the fuck is that? And I was like, ah, oh, Combat Jack interview. And then he's just like, oh okay. And then his his assistant is like, yeah, there you're like three o'clock or whatever. Yeah. And but he like, yeah, he he was he was really cool. He was just like, so and he full keeps of and he keeps beautiful women around him, man. Very like the, so, like yeah. the, the the chick that was like we did this interview with this chick in the room and he just kept like talking about how great she was like she was this this nutritionist this nutritionist doctor kind of like and I'm just like dude like Russell that's one thing like Russell stays with beautiful women all the time man Russell's gonna ride it to the wheels fall off really man. like that's crazy man I, I would say the highlight of that point though and I know you guys particularly Mena and um and um Matt like. 
once he gave me the okay to do yoga that morning with him. Oh yeah. What time was it? Like seven in the f- eight in the morning. It was real early. Yeah, and you guys were like, "Yo, get some information out of him." I was like, "What <laughs> fucking information? You? I'm about to fucking touch my toes. Like, what? <laughs> what information do, you have? <laughs> do y'all want me to get?" But that was. You oh, know, you mean they want you to like interview him in the interview studio. him like like in the locker room, like our balls are hanging out and everything. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm not gonna interview Russell about. You know, lighting. That's when he's at his best, though, to tell you the truth. Really? Not, I mean, not in the locker room, but, like, after he gets out of class, there's, he's on that kind of high, you know, like that yoga high, and he's, you know, very reflective. So I was probably pushing for that. I was right. probably like, yo, get Russell. Because I know, like, when I do work on books with him, like, that's when I want to get him. Right. Like, right after the class. Like, let him take a shower. Have you done yoga with him, man? Oh, uh, yeah, a million times. <laughs> it fucked me up last time, actually. Really? Yeah, I think I'm sick because of it, but that's a whole other story. Right, but right. He, he actually, uh, he has his own studio now. You probably didn't go there, but he has his own studio, Tantris, in L.A. Oh, no, he, he was telling me about it. Yeah, like, it's... it's he, was gonna, he was having, like, a big, like, launch. And all yeah, it's like. beautiful. Like, he really did a nice job with it. And uh, so I forgot the name of the place that you guys probably went. But, um, uh, I, it's a place he goes to, Moda. Moda. Yeah, yeah, Moto. that's it, that's it, yeah. Moto. Yeah, go, goes the moto. Um, what else, man? What what else are we, do, are we missing? I guess ju- just in terms of like getting people excited, like people who are listening to this who haven't kind of um, heard all six episodes. What what is like your highlight of the of the series? Like, what moment sort of sticks out for you? Is like, yeah, I'm really fucking proud of that bit. And when we go into like you know the history of um, hip hop in the South Bronx and how it parallels Lady's life. Or how we touch on, you know, certain so, certain moments, you know, in hip hop's history in New York, like um, the Latin Quarter and Red Alert, and like you know the whole Jungle Brothers thing, and um, you know even when we talk about briefly like the tunnel, like just these moments that 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 some of us live through, and just bringing that back, you know, the very first um, interview we did was when we talked to Original Violators, and that seems to be. The, the, the part of the story that everybody loves when we were talking about, you know, sneakers and, and, you know, how important it was for us when we didn't have anything and New York City was bankrupt. But if you could find like $55 and buy yourself a pair of sneakers, you were it. Capturing also a sense of, you know, how dangerous and how lawless New York City was um, back in the day. Uh, I love that. Um, and then just, you know, the action. Like there's a lot of action. There's a lot of action. Like, one of the things that fascinates me now even more after we do, did this story about Lighty is how this guy, whatever the hell was going on in his mind, whatever whatever the hell was going on in his life, he was this guy that, you know, most of us, when there's danger, we run away from it. But this guy seems to just be attracted to it like the shit got him off or anything. Like there was a fight and this guy would walk to it. You know what I mean? Even when, like... You know, parts of the story where he was injured and he still went to it. I mean, I I don't operate like that. You know, I'm done. Like, ow. You know what I mean? So that aspect of it is just like really colorful, just really um so it's, it's you know, it's cliche, but it, it, it is a movie. It's cinematic, it's visceral, and it just takes you there. Um I think those are my you know, and then talking to the daughter, like th- that's one of the things that I love. That's when to me the story turned for me because even that we had to discuss some pretty heavy topics with her. She was light. Hmm. She was always light, 
even, you know, at, at the points where she broke down and cried, I always felt it was just light, just a lot of light coming from her, man. Tiffany Lighty is just so special. Like, I think she added, and I know we didn't use a lot of what we got from her, but I think the times that we did, she just brings a lot of light to the to the story, man. Yeah. You know? How about you, Mardo? Uh I liked a lot of the moments that Reggie mentioned. Um, you know, one of the things that was exciting for me was – especially with some of the stuff in the first episodes when we talked about uh, Native Tongue Movement or Jungle Brothers, just getting a chance to introduce um, maybe new audiences to those artists and that music uh, because they were, you know, to use the Jungle Brothers as an example, like at the time, they were such an important group to me, you know, in the late 80s, and I feel like they've been lost to history a little bit. Yeah, they were a blip because when they came out, it was just like, like, how how does their legacy stand when that year that they came out is like Public Enemy drops, it takes a nation a million, and then the backdrop of Eric B and Rakim and Boogie Down Productions yeah. and like so much like like so of course you know looking back it's I mean I you know I had to go back to their first album straight out of the jungle straight out the jungle a couple of years ago and really reappreciate that record and it was twenty years ahead of its time yeah truthfully yeah. So, I mean, I think just to, just on that level, you know, that's one of the things I loved about that, this project. And, you know, like it's an interest, I think that was one of the things we had to figure out working on this is, okay, when we come across these artists in Lady's story, how much background do we have to provide? How much do we have to fill the audience in? Because to me, you don't have to tell anybody who a Tribe Called Quest is or Jungle Brothers or De La Soul or all these other groups that Lady managed. But, you know, I'm realizing that now that's a, that's a great part of history to a lot of people. And, you know, there's a moment, like I've told the story amongst us, but I'll tell it on air. Like I, I remember there was a, a time when we were, uh, you know, trying to figure out the episode that 50 cent is featured in mm-hmm. that tells that story. And well, you know, 50, we don't have to give any backstory. You know, everybody knows 50 and I'm in a uh, pharmacy waiting in line in downtown Soho that afternoon and they're like two 17 year old kids in front of me and in the club comes on over the speakers in the store and the one kid looks at the other kid and goes uh yo do you know who sings this song and the other kid's like nah i don't i don't know his name and what? the kid goes yeah me neither but i th- i think he got shot or something like that what and i was like these kids don't know who 50 cent is wow forget about jungle brothers right. and try called right, quest right, right, and right, Dela right, 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 right. and bdp like they don't know 50. So 50. like, that's crazy. But then again, you can say, why should they? Right. Because it's 10 years it's later. Tw- they were seven years. Yeah. Like in the club was out. So, you know, one, you know, one of the things that has really excited and kind of kept me energized about this project is as people who came up in that first wave of hip hop who were there, like we really have a job to tell these stories now because yeah. we can't assume that they know that anybody knows. Are they going to know? And they're going to know. And we're all, we're growing older, you know, like this is the time to really preserve these stories and kind of mark it down in history now. So as much as Mogul could help do that, and hopefully also set the stage to do it some more. I think, you know, we did something important. Um. So what's next? What are we doing next, man? I mean, there's all this talk about season, season two. two, man. Season I mean, two, yeah. You know, one, one of the things I don't want to do season two, man, is I don't want to go dark. This is season two. I don't know. Are you guys so, pushing for that? So, somebody on the internet asked if you were uh, now that season one is completed are you going to run the marathon <laughs> <laughs> I was an emotionally uh, emotionally uh, vulnerable place when I made that 
proclamation last year. I mean, who knows? I mean, haven't been working out. I mean, that's another thing, too. Like, this whole process is just like I've had really no time for myself. But mind your fucking business, Internet. (laughs) 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 But, um, yeah, I mean, I I just look forward to, like, 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 like. Hit us up. Send us your suggestions. Yeah, who y'all wanna... tell, tell us who you want to hear. We we probably won't listen, but you should you should you know send us what you got. Chime in, and mm-hmm. uh, but you got to do it soon because the wheels could already be in motion. You I know, know, man. Put in the comments. Put in the com- and listen, listen. Oh wait, internets. That's what you got to do. Go to um, go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Yeah. Podcast. Rate, subscribe, comment. Like you know, this is a rare opportunity for all of us, man, to get. You know, storytelling by us, for us, of us. Um, you know, I think Mogul's great. I think like it's made waves, but if it, if it doesn't kill it, I'm saying if we don't get those comments and those, there might not be any more Moguls. You know what I mean? So let's make this thing happen. I loved it. I want to see more stories like this. I want to tell more stories like this. I want you guys to hear more stories like this. You know, you know, so definitely, man, like rate and subscribe. It makes a difference. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a big difference. Yep. 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 What are we missing, man? Like, is there anything else? Like, is there anything else? I hope people enjoy the show. Yeah, man. Let us know. I mean, you know, one of the things that makes me feel good is like, you know, I know the hip hop audience can be, we're a tough crowd to, to please. I mean, the way you guys have been shitting on All Eyes on Me, the Tupac movie, mm-hmm. I'm glad it's them and not us. You know what I'm saying? Because you guys are roasting that movie. You know what I mean? But I will say, um, you know, not to pat ourselves on the back too much, but almost to a person, everyone that, you know, has heard this has loved it. Yeah. Who everyone, knows? Yeah. Who knows the material? And, you know, I, I sent it early to a couple of people who I know will tell me the truth, who would tell me if this shit, I was like, just let me know. And they were like, it's official. You guys did a good job. Yeah. So we are confident. Yeah. You know, we're, we're confident that you guys are going to love this story. Um, send it around, let people know so we can, so we can do more of them. You know, what's surprising though is, um, the type of people who are responding to mogul. Yeah, you know, I imagine it to be just you know the, the internets like the, you know, the cats that have supported you know LSN and the yeah. Combat Jack show for years, but just the people that are coming to me. Fabulous, and, uh, right up in the New Yorker. How'd you feel about that? I loved it. I loved it. Uh, shout out to uh, Sarah Larson, man. She was she was just so thrilled to um to to talk to me about this story, and she was just a nice person. Just we sat down and talked for three hours. For that interview, you know what I liked the, uh, especially about that review too was she uh, she picked up on that moment with Russell, yeah, uh, where he spoke about Lighty, yeah, and the club. And what episode is that? That's episode two. Episode so two. you guys will hear that soon if you haven't already heard it. Yeah. Uh, and again, not to give it away, but there there was a moment that I thought was really interesting in that episode, and as someone very honest, as someone who like really knows, you know, Russell speaks a, a million miles a minute. And sometimes it seems like he's talking in circles and it's not, you're not sure what he's saying. I, you know, like I, I speak Russell Simmons, so I get what he's saying. <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, man, I don't know if people are going to pick up on that moment. Like it might happen too fast. He might be going too fast. People might not catch it, but she, she caught it. A lot of people picked up on it. Yeah, yeah. She, she pointed to that as one of the real yeah. kind of interesting moments. So that, that, that made me feel good about it. Yeah. But yeah, like I was saying, man, just the types of people that are tuning in. And listening to this, I'm surprised 
that is hitting their ear holes in their desks, man. And I'm just really humbled by this. And, you know, I want to, you know, it's not over. Just because the show is out doesn't mean we can't push this. And we definitely need you guys internets to make this happen. So let's do it, man. Can we say uh, thank you to a couple of other people? Let's do it. Yeah. Um, Jonathan Mena, who's sitting with Jonathan us, of course, Mena. right here. Yes. Uh, who did a little bit of everything. Yeah. I'd say on the project, right? Right. Right. He says correct. A lot of the fixing production. The fixing, the quiet behind the scenes stuff. Mm-hmm. You're shooting. The shooting. <laughs> <laughs> um, A King, you know what I'm saying? A King's definitely been helpful, particularly with regard to, you know, helping us get um, some people, you know, on the back end. Yep. With regard to like some promo and, and some things that we were, we've been working out. Um, also from the Gimlet side. Yeah. Can I? Yeah. But you yeah, do yeah. the Gimlets. All right. Yeah. So definitely the 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 editors like we had such such great yeah, editing on this them, yeah. yeah so um lynn levy, lynn levy from from radio lab who's a huge influence on the project is incredible caitlin kenny who's caitlin just kenny. a complete genius He's and about a boss. to have a baby yeah he worked, worked out through, through like, this whole process very heavily pregnant oh, heavy, but, heavily pregnant but still just running around uh making things sound so much better um eric eddings who did the majority of the production for episode six and is going to be hosting his own gimlet show very soon um amazing um meg driscoll as well who was the one who kind of cracked things open by finding a a very important police report that if you listen you'll you'll hear more about that and meg did the majority of episode five um and yeah isabella Cole Carney, Peter Bresnan, they're like... Wait, Haley Shaw. Yeah, Matt. Yeah, 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 I just going to get to her. Like, like the way she put together yeah. a lot of the sounds, not necessarily the soundtrack of the music, but just the sounds. Like, yeah. Like, if you hear, you know, like, glass breaking or, like, gunshots, like, she did her, her fucking thing, man. That's Haley. Yeah, just absolutely exquisite like sound design and and she's a real like hip-hop head as well so she i think kind of like understand understood like exit like the world that we were trying to trying to create and one of the things that she did which is really incredible is a lot of the sound effects you hear are not sort of like spot on they're not literal they're like things that maybe sound like other things and it's quite kind of impressionistic and yeah she just like changed the the landscape of it so we had all those great people. We had like Alex Bloomberg, Alex our boss, Bloomberg, pop in Alex. time to yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like a real, real great team. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Chris. In the end, man, what do you think? Because I know there was a lot of internal discussion. And I know there's a lot of limitations. Like initially, when we first started this, particularly with the trailers that we were sending out, you know, to our closed circles, like the music was the music original. It was it was the music that the artists from all of these errors created and you know as we got into like full production we couldn't use mm. a lot of the music like i wanted to use everything and we couldn't and you know the the first trailer sounded so different from the second trailer like the last trailer yeah like what, what do you think about the music man well i mean i think the music uh people really enjoyed it so i think that's great um i'm not gonna lie like my instinct in all these scenes is to use the original music and you just can't do it all the time. I mean, that's kind of what we learned through this process is, um, you know, their rights and you can, you know, no, you know, a bigger issue is 
people talk a lot about fair use. Well, okay, you can just use that under fair use. But what we really learned through doing this is nobody, and this, when I say nobody, I mean the lawyers, nobody knows what right. is or is not fair use. You can use. get hit at any moment. You can get hit at any moment. And that's kind of, it kind of is running parallel to the evolution of podcasting in general, which is like when we started loudspeakers, we were putting 15-minute Benjamin mixes in every show, and we were playing whatever sort of music we wanted to. And nobody gave a shit because nobody gave a shit about podcasts. So so who what who cares if these guys are just throwing mixes in there? And as more attention has shined on the industry It's got a lot stricter. You know, with, with that not- with that attention comes attorneys and rights and licensing and all Publishers that sort of shit. Um you know, and I tell people I remember, you know, on Ice T's podcast, you know, when he was starting that with us, he said, all right, well, I want to play this song and that song and that song, you know, in between the segments. And I said, well, you know, and they were his, his songs. His songs, yeah. I said, well, you can't, you can't use that. He goes, what the fuck do you mean I can't use it? It's my song. I said, no, it's not your song. It's the, whoever owns it. It's the, Warner yeah. Brothers or whoever the case may be. And they're going to flag that thing on SoundCloud if you put it up there. And, you know, he couldn't believe it, but it was the case. So that's sort of where we're at right now. Whereas when we started, this was all the Wild West and we could do whatever we wanted. And, you know, now we're doing something like Mogul, which is essentially a movie, not only in terms of how it sounds, but also in terms of all the other stuff that comes with it, too. So, you know, I think and there's an article I haven't read it, but there's an article that just came out. um, I think yesterday I saw someone on my Twitter timeline about the effectiveness of original scores in podcasts and what works and what doesn't. I think they used S-Town as one of the examples. So I'll, I'll be interested to read that. I don't know if they talked about Mogul in it or not um but you know as we talk about season two i think that's that's one of the things you got to really think about because i know when we start sitting around tossing these ideas around oh this be great that'd be great she'd be great he'd be great you hear the music the music drives so much of your excitement about the project but can you use all the music that's what we'll have to find out and also, you know, speaking of music, I, I, I thought someone who did a really great job on this is uh, Nana, if I'm Nana saying, his, yeah. saying his name right, uh, who kind of came, actually, you know, talked to his manager and just mentioned Mogul and, you know, hooked him up with you guys. He's from the Wonderland camp. From, yeah, uh, Jadena's producer. Yeah, Jadena's yeah, producer. And I thought he did a fantastic job. And so I just uh, say shout out to him. I thought yeah, he really out, definitely. knocked it out. Definitely. Uh, Matt, man, anything else? I mean, it's your first appearance on the Combat Jack show, man. Are you actually at an episode with Uncle Murder? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. You were was, at an uh, episode with Uncle Murder. But this is your bore, first. bore witness to one. Yeah. This is the first time this I've been on This is the first official. You... No, nah, nah, it's, it, it's amazing. I have to actually thank you guys for getting me a job because my, <laughs> my interview with um, Alex Bloomberg, who, of course, you know, is a big Combat Jack fan. My job interview for Gimlet, he was like, you know, what sort of stuff are you into? And I spoke about the show. I was like, oh, the Combat Jack show. And like, I guess he likes it. And they were just like, oh, this guy has like decent taste. He knows what's up. So So just cut us a check, man. I wouldn't be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to give you 20% of all (laughs) of my. No, 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 man. No, this is definitely good, man. And, and, you know, you know, going into season two, man, definitely, we definitely got to reconnect and and make this, you know, this project happen, man. Because, uh. You definitely, like I said, pushed me, and, and I learned a lot, man, and I appreciate you, and I definitely want to do this again. Yeah, yeah, thank you. you. Know? And likewise, you did a, you did an exceptional job. Thank and you. I, I I know there's a lot of hyperbole and talk of like raising the bar or changing the game, but this genuinely, nobody's done anything like this you before. You hear that, Internet? You're, uh, you hear that? We raised the bar, Internet. Yeah. There you go. Congratulations, like the, man. the spearhead of that. Thank so you. That's, that's amazing. Thank you. Well Mauro, anything? 
Nah, check it out. Enjoy the enjoy the season. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you didn't like. Let us know what you'd like to see and hear more of. And as we mentioned before, star, rate, comment, do yep. all that stuff. Yeah. We appreciate it. Yep. Tell, tell your friends, tweet about it, Facebook. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Yeah, just yep. help get the, the word out there. I think it's important. Yep. King. Season two, marathon. Season two, marathon. I can't wait. <laughs> I, I know you can't. <laughs> nah, man, but did you enjoy it, man? Absolutely, man. Yep. It was dope. It's, it's, I'm still learning as I'm, I, as I continue to listen to it for like the fourth, fifth time already. Um, Damn, you on the fourth listen? Yeah, it's it's it's, it's like a new experience every time, man. Right. Honestly, you just it's just I know one of the biggest things was, man, like is it going to be a visual component? A lot we get a lot of that question, right? But you can kind of visualize it while listening. So mm-hmm. it's like theater to mind. That's exa- so that's exactly what it is. You know, and um even in this episode here, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of takeaway from it that that you know, we listen to in the audience. Um, you know, so it's a, it's an ongoing learning experience. There you go, man. Thank you. you. Know. Internets. Yes, sir. Internets. Go listen to Mogul. And you know what it is, man. Dream those dreams and then man up, woman up, and live those dreams. Because life without dreams is black and white. And the universe flows in technicolor surprise. and surround sound. Mogul. Numenati! This episode of the Combat Jack Show was produced by Jonathan Menner. Executive produced by A. King and Chris Morrow. This is an official Loudspeakers Network's production. So you- you guys both met him. I've heard a lot about him, but I never met him. Right. Uh, what was he like? If you're just explaining to somebody like me who's never met him before, what what's the guy like? And can you think of a story that sort of illustrates that? Um, yeah, uh, Entourage. You, see, you ever seen Ari Gold on Entourage? You never yeah, seen yeah, Ari I Gold? Know, well, the TV show, right? Yeah. Well, you need to go in there and go do your research because if you look at Ari Gold, that's what he is. But then if you look. If you look at Ari Go, Ari Go only had love for one client. And what's that client? I didn't watch that. You show. didn't watch the show because you're a foul <laughs> I know man. what it is. Huh? Okay, and now exactly. That's what Violator was for Chris Lady. He had all his other goals, but every artist that was signed to him was Vinny Chase. Was his favorite artist. It was Vinny Chase. Huh? So listen to what I said. You got to. Was his favorite artist. So listen, because so, he made everybody feel like they was the most important. So that's the reason why I broke it down like that. I could have said, I could have said, I'm Vinny Chase. I could have said 50 Cent was Vinny Chase. I could have said Missy Elliott was Vinny Chase. But that's not what it was. He treated every other business like how he had. Like the football. Remember Ari Gold? He wanted football. He wanted to invest in restaurants. He wanted to, you know, fuck his wife better. He wanted to do whatever. But... His, his, this is the reason why, this is the reason why Entourage is invented, because Ari Chase loved Vincent Chase. I mean, Ari, Ari Gold, excuse me, loved Vincent Chase. So that's what Chris Lighty was to violate.